I think the function of a horror film is to uh, allow people to confront things that disturb them about life in general in a, in a relatively safe environment. We, we, are, we are born to test ourselves uh, against what will come. When we're ch children test themselves uh, in, in terms of society and sexuality. And, uh, and later you, you think about things like violence and aging and disease and death and separation. And one of the arenas that you can sort of test yourself is the cinema, is film. You were, a, you were a young kid out of university, basically a film nut, an unspecific film nut, if, yeah. I, if I can say, staying up all night just in love with the movies. Yes. Why would you pick this genre, as they say, this kind of film? Well, it's, uh, it, 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 it wasn't a conscious choice. I mean, when I began to write, and even before I was interested in film and wrote short stories and so on, they tended to be rather dark in that way. And, uh, and even the short stories I wrote, you could call horror stories. Where does this come from in your... Well, I'll tell you the truth. It, it really, uh, I think that to see a horror film, you really, your attitude has to be that it's, it's, it's as though you had a, someone drilled a hole in your forehead, and while you were sleeping and having a nightmare, your nightmare, your dream, was projected directly onto the screen through your, this, this you know, lens in your head. And I think that if you if you think of it that way, you'll realize that most people have created horror films. It's just that Is they've said liberating. Does this make you much more relaxed than the ordinary guy because you can project them out there on the screen and, and perhaps uh, expunge the horror? Yes. Okay. See. See. To give our audience the idea of what kind of club you have, you don't say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie III. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Shannon Strucci. And today we're doing a special, special, very special crossover episode. On the mic right now, we've got John from Horror Vanguard. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so, so much for inviting me on. Happy to be here. Yeah. We are going to be doing a two special two-part, very spooky very Ooh. scary, very yeah. grotesque ah. uh, Halloween episode. Um, we're crossing over with the Horror Vanguard boys. Um, we got a uh, liquid guy on this episode, and then two of us will go over to Horror Vanguard to talk uh, some more horror. And we're talking about the man, uh, the Canadian master of horror, David Cronenberg. Oh. Uh, we're going to be doing four of his movies, The Brood, The Fly, scanners and videodrome we're gonna be talking about them all folks so you got so we got the free episode over here but you're gonna have to sub over at horror vanguard to get the second episode you know it's gonna and it's gonna be very good it's gonna be very worth it you guys do a great job over there that is a fantastic podcast i recommend it to uh all the horror fans Oh, thank you so much. We are um yeah we're a horror pod podcast that talk about horror in from the point of view of a kind of radical socialist politics, um, a gothic, I'm a, I, I kind of jo semi jokingly call myself a gothic Marxist. So uh, <laughs> this is this is this is extreme. I am extremely on brand right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we are going to be talking about David Cronenberg. Um, I guess what we can start off with. In general, like, what are your feelings about David Cronenberg? Because he's one of the, you know, all, I feel like he's one of the all time, uh, great 
horror directors and then he took a turn uh, t- to doing like prestige stuff some of which is kind of good some i think is kind of cloying and sentimental um but otherwise like i have to say david cronenberg especially after just watching four of his movies and enjoying all of them has to be has to be uh one of my uh, favorite directors yeah he's fantastic and I hadn't, I, it's been a while since I've seen a film of his. I already seen, I'd seen like four of them before this. And I didn't realize, or I forgot how funny his films are too. There's a lot of mm-hmm. weird humor. Uh, I got to see The Brood in the theater last night, which was awesome. And I oh, was wow. laughing so hard. Yeah, it was great. It, like coincidentally, I freaked out and some friends went with me and it was super fun. Like That's just awesome. some of the lines. Yeah, it was great. No, I'm a, I'm a huge Cronenberg fan. I think. Like on a, on the level of ideas, like back back in the late seventies and early eighties, when horror is kind of drowning under the the cheap slasher, you've got people like Cronenberg who are turning out these weird, uh, really funny but like really kind of intense body horror experiences. And yeah, you know the the later stuff might not be so good, but the the high points are are just so good. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think, honestly, you know, this era that we're sort of looking at between these two episodes is really him at his uh, uh, absolutely. This is a director at his peak, folks. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in terms of like an almost kind of like David Lynchian weirdness, but then on top of like some of the best practical like visual effects of the era, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in some ways he can't be beat. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about it, he's making these weird, gross, violent, very sexual uh, movies, and the Canadian government is paying for it. <laughs> like that's 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 a, that's a yeah, that's socialism at work. He's getting you know funding from the Canadian government um, to make all this stuff, and I think that's just beautiful. Yeah, they, they, there was a kind of a, a legislative system that offered tax write-offs if you if you if you did film production, and he's gone on record saying that like there's a reason why a lot of contemporary cinema sucks. It's because who's willing to pay for it right you know there's a reason mm-hmm. that that kind of a kind of a national cinema in canada really thrived during that time yeah so we get, we're, we're going to do two films on a struggle session the brood um from uh 1979 and uh the fly um uh from 1986 so the uh youngest and the uh, oldest film on this one the, now I've I've talked we talked on the show uh, f- a few times about like some of Cronenberg's earlier stuff uh, Shivers and Rabbit were two kind of kind of sloppy kind of exploit exploitation type like zombie flicks basically um, ones uh, pure zombie ones are zombies that have sex and uh, both of them I are you know really enjoyable movies but are you know very kind of low concept kind of low budget um kind of slaughter fest um, yeah basically mm. they're not really uh i i still enjoy them i think they're uh really wonderful films but they are like he, a lot of directors like will you know never get past that point um with this but i think with cronenberg the brood is the sign that he can do like so much more than just a a cheap you know schlocky kind of uh zombie movie so everyone what were your uh initial uh thoughts uh on watching uh the brood when's the first time you saw it this is my first time seeing it and it's a like 
truly strange. You know, uh, this is my first time seeing the movie, and yeah, I mean, it just has a sort of very eerie feeling uh, uh, that like strikes like it harkens back almost to like like this kind of like Lovecraftian old you know old school horror of you know like a a scientist getting in the into a bad situation pretty much yes. <laughs> uh, which i found really appealing like like i said it but but it, it you know and it, uh, uh, but it does end up kind of having this like sort of you know lynchian weirdness and yeah some of the like great visual effects that you uh, uh, would expect from later cronenberg stuff yeah i saw the the end scene clip the baby clip in a film class like 6 years ago with no context <laughs> and every time i think <laughs> oh, about like yeah, it was it was amazing. I think it was like uh, like feminist film theory type class. And every time I think about getting pregnant, because I don't want to have kids, and I think pregnancy is terrifying and disgusting, I just like think of that that scene. So I was just waiting for it the whole movie. Um, but yeah, it was fan. Like I said, I saw it uh, actually for the first time in a theater last night at ten o'clock, um, and it was awesome. I loved it. The especially like I. Uh, enjoyed shivers and i enjoyed scanners but i think the brute has so much more going on emotionally than those two films in particular and i there's certain aspects of it that you know um we were joking my friends and i that's like a father's rights movie or whatever but i think there's a lot more going on than that but there are some elements that are like okay and then it's like all right i get it this all these people are sympathetic and it's just like a weird uh a, a very weird film with a lot of comedic moments like the guy screaming at the main character to be his daddy and whatever i had no idea that was coming that was really funny yeah i really enjoyed it it might be my favorite out of the four now video drum was my favorite but i don't oh, know wow. um yeah i th- i think i saw this um i was watching this today actually just before recording it it's the first time i've seen it in like i don't know maybe maybe five to eight years and i remember loving it love absolutely just thinking it was the coolest shit ever when i first saw it and now when i watch it i there's quite a lot of it where you realize that it's a kind of deeply ambiguous film and um it's maybe the the most he was going through a divorce direction job (laughs) of, of, of cronenberg's like career um and i was talking about this earlier on twitter and i said like in many ways it's a kind of very very straightforward very kind of classic horror plot um but it's also um, this amazing response to Kramer versus Kramer, which yes. is like this this kind of ersatz sentimental like uh, boomer enlightenment film where it's like <laughs> oh we we've moved beyond uh, kind of marriage and we can process familial breakdown and then right. Cronenberg comes along and just goes huh, no absolutely no, not <laughs> yeah so the brood it's it. It's. I mean, I think it's a fantastic uh, film. Very deeply weird and immediately engaging. That first scene of the therapy, like I am in it, where he's doing. Uh, Doctor Raglan is uh, talking to Mike, um, who's one of the therapy. Um, I was about to say victims. Therapy victims is actually an appropriate term. <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a therapy victim of the film. Yeah, yeah. the therapy victim of Dr. Raglan, who is uh, <laughs> undergoing this, you know, radical therapy. Um, I don't know what the uh, 
technical term of it is in real life. It is a real world type of uh, therapy. In the film, it's called psychoplasmics. It's where um, they do, you know, this intense uh, role playing. And the Raglan technique gets you to physically manifest your negative feelings um, in the form of like these pustules and like, like, you know, like, Zit, uh, you know, just these body growths, uh, that appear on you because you're just so angry and upset and you can physically, um, manifest this stuff. And, you know, Raglan, this is a new radical technique, uh, that this, uh, psychotherapist has you know come up with in order to you know this is supposed to help you uh purge all your demons by manifesting them physically and of course uh because i think jack pointed out since this is in its core kind of a lovecraftian tale everything uh goes wrong with this technique <laughs> and um pushes everyone to the brink and most of the people in the film uh end up dying uh in very tragically um and none, almost none of them were actually doing anything wrong they mm. were just like they're just all a bunch of people suffering from trauma or people trying to help one another and it just ends up poorly poorly um for all of them yeah i didn't ex- expect it to be like a cycle of abuse film um and i appreciated how that aspect of it was handled because i mean the mom are are both mothers in the film maybe aren't the best mothers but you do feel bad for them i don't think it's like a women are evil movie no and and that was interesting you mentioned it uh that it you watched the last scene in your uh feminism in film class was it Mm -hmm. a positive uh was your professor saying something positive about it she didn't like horror movies that much, so I don't know if it was. I don't really remember. I think all I remember <laughs> yeah. was how disgusting and weird and great it was. Um, it was probably positive. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because the, cause there, this, this film has gotten some criticism for being misogynistic, but I ultimately like don't agree because like nobody, nobody in this film is a villain, really. Like nobody is trying, like the uh, mother, mm-hmm. um, she's clearly clearly mentally ill severely mentally ill and like just need is trying and is trying to get help uh for it but because she hooks up with dr raglan who has developed this new method um she instead of um being able to properly process her mental illness her mental illness physically manifests in the form of little evil monster children (laughs) yeah I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really buy this. The argument that Cronenberg was, I mean, he said himself, this was a very cathartic film to make when he, he's going through a very bitter divorce. Um, and yeah, that's absolutely part of it. But I think the, the idea about this kind of like making all of the women in, of the film into figures that are monstrous, monstrosity is produced, right? And it's produced by this abusive psychiatrist. It's produced by like the fact that all the men in, in this film are just just shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> so so I don't I don't really I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it's in a kind of inherently misogynistic film because that ignores the fact that monstrosity is not something that is it's something that's kind of intensified by by systems which these characters find themselves placed within. I would agree. I don't think it was misogynistic. Um, I think all the characters, in a way, are sympathetic and are, in a way, monstrous. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's misogynistic so much as it is like a horror movie. Everyone's <laughs> like kind of fucked yeah. up and scary because we live in the world of like, it's like Lovecraftian <laughs> horror where everyone is like kind of vile and fucked up. Yeah, so um, what we find out later in this film, it it's actually has a fairly simplistic and all, you know, put together plot, right? This is kind of a thing I enjoy about Cronenberg and watching all these movies. Like, so, and this is, you know, sharing the DNA with Lovecraft, kind of. Um, none, there's nothing supernatural really happening in any of these movies. Um, and Bruce is another example. This is just a new form of science that someone has discovered. It's not really right. meant to be mm-hmm. magical or mystical. It has an explanation. You know everything that's happening really from, uh, beginning, uh, to end in this film. So what's happening is, uh, um, that, uh, Frank's, uh, wife, Nola, has manifested, um, all all these creatures from her body through this therapy because uh, her reaction to the therapy was so much stronger than anyone else's. And all these creatures kind of live in this cabin um, where <laughs> she's at. And every mm-hmm. time she gets angry at somebody or something, those creatures, because they're based on her own emotions, go out and um, brutally murder them. Um, and so this is one of the little kid horror movies. There are several of them um, where just little kids go around <laughs> murdering scary. people. Yeah. Yeah, kids are terrifying. Like well-established horror facts. Kids, like Terry oh, yeah. Terry Eagle, Terry Eagleton has this great quote where he says that um, the reason that children are scary is is because we don't necessarily know what they're for. Like they don't <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't work. Uh, they don't they don't um, reproduce. They don't have their own children, so we don't really know what children are for. And so they could be up to anything if you if you take your eyes off them for more than one second. Don't let but him have really, a hammer. Yeah, the don't let him have like a, a, a mallet or a meat tenderizer or a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I said, the the idea of pregnancy is terrifying to me, and the social pressure to be a woman, like especially li- I live in Georgia, and like you know, if I got pregnant, like could I get an abortion? I don't know. It's really right. scary, and I hate it. And I think, for me uh, personally, I think some people would read all the weird pregnancies and motherhood stuff in this as misogynistic. But to me, I related to it because I never want to mm. be a mom. I think being a mom and having kids—I don't like being around kids. <laughs> it was just like playing on my own uh, personal fears, which is, I think, why that clip stuck with me for like six years or whatever, and why I was so excited to see it. Yeah, of course. Of course, a central kind of metaphor of this is that cycle of abuse that you mentioned, Shannon. Uh, mm-hmm. Nola was abused um, by her mother, and that's what part of the reason why she's uh, in therapy. That's part of the reason why her relationship with Frank uh, kind of disintegrated. And what opens the film is that Frank is worried that um nola has abused their daughter um without he him even knowing that um his mother-in-law abused um his wife and so like uh that idea that you know she is of reproducing that trauma is terrifying to nola but but that's literally what she's doing by creating uh these creatures who attack her daughter and then her mother and then um her then her daughter's um elementary school teacher because she thinks she uh she has something uh going on with the husband and just every time she gets mad every time her rage you know manifests ends up hurting all these uh innocent people uh without her even knowing it 
I mean, I think this is one thing that's that's really powerful about this film beyond the 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 kind of central tension of um, of motherhood of of reproduction. It's like what the the idea of uh, those that kind of anger and internalized drives and 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 the kind of what would any of us do if we thought we could get away with it, right? What that's that's the that's the kind of really key oh, yeah. question this bores into, like the all of the kind of petty resentment and anger and like irritation that we bottle up just to kind of get through the day because that's what you do in a social situation when somebody like cuts you off at the traffic. If you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't have to do that, you know, obviously society would no longer function, but like we would all be so much more violent to one another <laughs> if we didn't have to do that kind of good repression of the fact like, I, you know, people like we we irritate one another, we annoy one another, we enrage one another, and uh, if you kind of just take take the kind of subject, the person, and you you pressure them in the right way, you get to see the kind of horror that can come out of that. Yeah, uh, like all the Absolutely. little kids are just like all her little ids running around. Just <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, whatever she feels in the moment. Like I said, it's a very simple movie, but Cronenberg does a couple of things that I always like in his films, right? He always has like these, you know, small character actors to do like very funny, weird stuff in the films. Yeah. In this one, um, is a former patient of Raglan, uh, called Jan Hartog, who is, uh, you know, he's like living in like the hospital because Raglan's method has destroyed his lymphatic system. And like that scene is just so funny and so it's amazing. W- weird. And then he shows his neck with like his <laughs> nodes, like, oh, just the gr- one of the grossest things to <laughs> yeah, end, in any Cronenberg uh, film. With, like, and that's saying neck. a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and it's just only a one, a really quick shot, but it's really uh, fucked up. And like, I, he's just so funny. Uh, in the, in his brief scenes, and I just I feel like you know Cronenberg, you know, even though these films take place in Canada and they're not very nice, but he does bring a little bit of Canadian, unique Canadian uh, weirdness and weirdos to these movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that shot him just rolling back and forth, covered in sweat, and the weird low angle shots of him. That was fantastic. Again, I had no idea any of that was going to be in the film. So I was like, this is great. Yeah, it has this like nice mix of like, you know, uh, it does have these serious themes and it has these sort of like bigger ideas and everything like that. But it, it, it like, it, it, it knows that it's a like schlock horror movie. Like I kind of like yeah. in the, in the world of, you know, elevated horror that we find ourselves in now that this movie still is kind of like, well, this is like a, uh, a horror movie and there should be some like silly schlocky horror parts <laughs> in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, which just goes to show the kind of like bankruptcy and, and critical meaninglessness of the term yeah. elevated horror. Right. Because I, I really do think this film is like just, it, it just looks beautiful. It looks fun. It's fun to look at. That opening scene is great. Guy who plays Raglan, the doctor, he's just giving like a top level performance. Uh, Oliver Reed is his name and he just feels like the most 
classic uh, Shakespearean actor. I believe he is a Shakespearean actor. He's been I'm looking at his uh, wiki now. He's just been in tons of stuff. He's a stage uh, yeah. actor. Passed away uh, in 1999. But goddamn, this performance, his performance as Raglan is wonderful because at it's first so you think good. he's just you know this uncaring asshole um, doing um, this thing uh, like he's kind of you know threatens Frank, saying I'm not letting her go. I'm not letting her leave. You have to bring your daughter here or we're going to be in a legal battle and then you realize kind of that you know he actually is trying to help her but he's playing with forces he doesn't himself really understand and at the end he risks him himself um to save uh frank and his daughter uh from nola so he ends up kind of being a heroic figure uh, by the end when you start off thinking he's just a complete sociopathic piece of shit yeah, absolutely. And like if uh you know, if you are a horror fan and you have not seen The Devils yet with Oliver Reed in it, you absolutely have to watch that. It's oh, I didn't mean to watch it. Yeah. I know I need to when I was re- researching folk horror, I was like, shit, I need to watch all these. It is <laughs> off the chain. It's so good. Um and the performances don't need to be this good, right? If yeah. you're going to make <laughs> you, you're going to make a schlocky, slightly gross out uh horror movie you don't need to like hire oliver reed to be, <laughs> to be like, what are you doing <laughs> but what i really like about cronenberg and and kind of like as you said jack like he puts in these kind of like he's really he's a, he's so so okay with being a genre director like he knows yeah. what the rules of he knows what the rules of the game are and he's entirely the thing i really like about him as a filmmaker is that there's like he's not sentimental at all so, like, yeah. you've got the great slapstick bit of him rolling around the floor, but this is also a guy that's dying. Uh, <laughs> and you've got that really heartbreaking opening therapy session, which is also really kind of bleakly funny. So he is just, he's so good at making making this kind of horror story, which is, like, devoid of sentiment, which I think would be really easy to fall into, where you go, oh, no, the precious innocent child has to be rescued and has to be redeemed somehow. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like, it's almost like, you know, uh, again, you know, we talk so much about prestige horror and it's like, it's almost like modern horror directors don't want to go super weird or go funny because then they might lose the like prestige horror <laughs> designation. You know what I mean? Like, it, mm. like I, I feel like directors like David Cronenberg, you know, and people who like came up through schlock horror kind of like felt that they knew their place in entertainment. They're like, Oh, we're making schlock horror and maybe we can make it something better than that. You know what I mean? It's better to like think that you're doing low art and like aspire oh, to yeah. do high art than to feel like you're in, you know, high art and like avoid you know, having anything to do with <laughs> <Yes>. low art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, totally. Yeah. You're speaking, you know, we were just, we were talking about before the episode about the director's cut of midsummer, which is, was it three hours long? <laughs> Over three hours. hours long. Like, come on. Jeez. I was saying before this, I'm like, you need to leave some of the stuff in the bin. It doesn't not need to all be on the timeline. Like some stuff gets to stay in the bin. It's not all good. Guess what? There's not over three hours of good midsummer. Yeah, guess come what? On. The brood what? is a tight ninety. Ninety minutes. I know, and these were so short. Ninety is is such a good amount of time for a movie, and especially a horror movie. Like a cool night. That's a movie. Uh, the 
some movies like expect too much out of you. <laughs> These movies do not, and I appreciate yeah. that. And of course, we do. I uh, do want to mention the last scene where we do see that the cycle is continuing because yeah. the daughter is manifest man, uh, manifesting uh, those growths on her arm after her immensely traumatic experience through this film she's there's no way she was gonna like i don't know after seeing so many people beaten to death she was gonna have problems (laughs) no matter what like i'm sorry yeah that's true yeah uh she gets she barely says anything in this movie and she just looks frightening all the time and just has to watch a bunch of people get murdered um including like her mother and grandmother um and her teacher so like all the people adults in her life um poor little girl Oh well. Oh well. You know, it's a horror movie. Yeah. Little girls have a rough time in horror movies. I watched <laughs> Halloween three the or Halloween four the other night. That little girl had a rough time too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So find thoughts on the brew. Do we want to give a score? Where where we rank this uh film in the canon mm-hmm. of horror? I I I just I love watching this movie and it's just it's a tight ninety and I can watch it again and again and again. Like it keeps moving, it never really slows down or spends a ton of time on exposition or it sets this mood immediately and then goes from there like i just love this movie i think it's uh really holds up yeah i mean i agree i think it's like a it's one of these ones where you're kind of watching it and you're like man like this is like every horror movie should be like as good as this (laughs) you know what i mean like there's no reason why uh horror movies shouldn't be this good yeah it's just a super solid you know uh uh, horror movie that trucks along uh uh, the entire time i i really enjoyed it I i had a great time watching it and you know, uh, I think it, it it deserves its place. It's you know, it's only because Cronenberg's like done so many other sort of like extremely notable works that I feel like this one maybe uh, doesn't get involved in the conversation quite as often. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Uh, I had a, it was just like a good time, and it was very, I think, densely scripted as far as little character moments and uh, making the characters believable while also keeping them kind of funny. Uh, I, I remember. Fairly early on, there's a scene where the psychiatrist, like the grandfather, angrily comes up to the psychiatrist to try to find his daughter and then leaves. And the other guy's talking to the psychiatrist. He's just like, he's drunk or just weird moments like that. (laughs) That I was just (laughs) leaning into what it's doing while also dealing with very, very heavy themes seriously. And I think that's a hard balance to make. I think like the the funny scenes in Midsommar did not work. I just thought they were awkward. Whereas in this, they're very they're woven in to the rest of the film. And yeah, I loved it. No, I I agree, and I think um, I mean it's 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 maybe one of the kind of best early Cronenbergs, and easily one of the best uh, horrors of the early eighties. It's so it's like you said, Leslie. It's so tight. The structure is perfect. Cronenberg's a hell of a writer as well. Um, I think what's really cool about it is that you can see in this one themes which he's going to keep going back to throughout all the rest of his like. 80s horror phase as it were but yeah an absolute classic all right that was the brute up next the fly the fly what? now this is the one everybody knows the fly I, you you think but i feel like it hasn't been talked about a lot i think 
I, I remember when I was growing up, everybody talked about The Fly. This was the movie that was always on cable on Showtime, yeah, and whatever, and everybody knew it and loved it. I actually feel like The Fly. I don't think like the new generation really knows that much about The Fly. Really? Yeah, people I don't know The Fly. I, I really don't. I think people like have kind of don't. I mean, compare it. Like, I think The Fly belongs up there with like an Alien, Alien. Yeah, I guess I agree. But it's I, not, I, I kind of always felt like it was. Yeah, but I did. You don't too. think it's being estimated that way? Yeah, Good I. Lord. When I grew up, it was, but like right now, I don't think it is. I don't think. Wow. I really don't think uh, wow. the fly has the respect. Uh, I had it's no a, idea. Especially with you know how memeified Jeff Goldblum has uh, become, but everybody just yeah. thinks of him now as like the Jurassic Park guy. Like, no, he's the he was at his hottest, sexiest, most broodingness in the fly. <laughs> you yep, need to go 100%. back and look at the fly. Oh. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean this. This is you know, uh, uh, it's it's body horror. It's Jeff Goldblum at his like absolute peak, uh, playing another scientist. Which, by the way, I like that both of these movies. Uh, we need to get back to horror movies that are about just sort of like scientists <laughs> yeah. getting into like too much yeah. teenagers and normal people getting into situations. I want scientists <laughs> doing science that went too far yeah. and getting in trouble for that. It's another. It's another Lovecraft thing. He's just he's out there just uh, doing science. He, um, you know, unlocking the secrets of the universe. He fucks up while doing it and destroys him. But it's also a romantic comedy too, right? Like, yeah. this is mm-hmm. like the, I, the chemistry between Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis is just so perfect. Um, I, I, didn't they date in real life, uh, during around this time? Cause I, cause I mean, God, they ju- are just like a perfect, uh, on screen couple they're both Mm. beautiful they're both tall um they seem to genuinely like like each other uh fall in love throughout the film and it's just their relationship is really what uh holds uh this whole movies uh uh together yeah it's a love story it's a love story like yeah but and also, with two of the sort of most compelling, like, I would say, like, among the most compelling actors, uh, they're like, uh, as far as actor and actress go, like, Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum, at the height of their power and sort of uh, charisma and everything, uh, uh, it, it's quite the love story. Oh, and they were married from 87 to 90. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I mean, and you can feel it on screen. These are two people that like to. <laughs> now it starts off with you know the typical meet cute where he's like really into her, but she's she's kind of into him, but she's not really sure because he's like weird and awkward. But they end up meeting, going back to his place, except that um, she, he just wants to show her like his teleportation booths. <laughs> so, <laughs> My like, telepods. Yeah. Uh, well, he, uh, to be fair, his first pickup line was to say he has a cappuccino machine. At he had a house. cappuccino machine, yeah. <laughs> Which, Ooh. you know, uh, has be, has kind of been lost to time. That probably was extremely significant in 1986, um, but uh, not so much now. Um, <laughs> I feel like now would be like saying, oh, I have like a, a industrial grade like milkshake machine uh, <laughs> at my home. <laughs> my Juicero I have at home. I want to come see it. <laughs> 
Um, so it, it, again, this is another film that's just a tight, like not, well, 95, 95 there. This one's a little, you know what? I think it is a tight 95. I think you need it all 90, 95. I think to, to give yourself an additional five minutes when our, you know, when, when we're putting out three hour and 15 minute long, uh, midsummers, <laughs> come on, give the man his five additional minutes. And so this one, uh, we should say this one has like a bigger budget. This is, um, yeah, yeah this one. It's a big movie. Yeah, this wasn't just, you know, the Canadian government funding it. Oh, it was like Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks <laughs> was the producer. <laughs> produced Whoa. this movie. Yeah, so it, it kind of, it's a little bit bigger um, than the other stuff that Cronenberg uh, was doing. And you can, like, see it because he has, like, two legitimate um, movies, Hollywood movie stars in it. Um, mm. Really, yeah. cap- as, as you said, Jack, just captures the, both of them um, at their peak. Um, oh yeah, and he still brings all that you know Cronenberg weirdness to it. Like I just oh, it gets very weird. Like for a big yeah. Hollywood movie, the way that uh, uh, that Goldblum looks at the end, and also the choice to like still have him like speaking English and stuff like that makes it <laughs> so weird. Yeah, it's just uh, you know, in this movie, it's, it's like a very tragic one because again, like, well, there is one real villain, and that's the um. Uh, Gina Davis's boss in oh, this, yeah. who kind of ends up being the hero, even though like he's definitely a guy um, that was me too um, in, in this world. <laughs> we saw him doing me too. Yeah, like yeah. there were there were me too's directly on screen. Yeah, well, we were watching it. My friends and I were like, "Doesn't she have another friend to talk to? Is there no one else in this woman's <laughs> life that she can go to for literally no one else?" Her abusive boss. Her yeah. shitty abusive ex-boss who just who like, shows won't give her it, back her key. Yeah. <laughs> shows up taking a shower, refuses to give back his key, and is weird about it. I think we're supposed to uh, surmise that because she's a journalist for a science magazine, she doesn't actually have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> she's also wow. a nerd. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. nerd. This, Just a nerd. This is what happens when two nerds fall in love. Terrible uh, thing. He <laughs> yeah, tried to really. warn us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, so like she goes back to his house and he lives in like this weird kind of loft and she looks in his closet and all his shoes and coats and shirts and ties are all exactly uh yeah. the same and it just makes I'm jealous. Me, just makes me think that like, well, oh, this Steve Jobs absolutely watched this movie, right? A hundred percent. That's so funny. And I, I, I again I just don't want to believe the point, but I just love watching them like get to know each other get to fall in love and i think that's what makes this film like have so much heart and integrity because there's not like a lot of deaths or anything in it but the ones that do happen and the things that happen to goldblum's character just hurt so much yeah to watch because you get to see like the different layers of him you get to see like the awkward scientist that you know can't speak to women but then you also see like that he's also you know kind of good in bed and kind of suave (laughs) good looking guy charming yeah charming (laughs) you get to see all these layers to him and then you see them all turn into a uh, mushy uh, pus eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. This, this, this wouldn't work without the chemistry of the central pair. Right. And it's yep. about, it's a very different kind of horror, but thematically, I think there's a through line that connects the two. Right. So it's about watching somebody that you love uh, go through something 
transformative in a way that is horrifying, but at the same time, the thing that's kind of really creepy is that it's not entirely negative. Yeah. Like, like there are, there are moments where he talks about like the changes in his body and the things that are happening to him. And it's like, some of it is actually kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like but, the gymnastics scene. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but it's also this kind of genuinely terrifying thing that takes you further away from this other person that you, that you love and you care about. Yeah. It's almost like if you, your boyfriend joined the CrossFit gym, but also got really into Coke. That's kind of what <laughs> When he kept putting sugar in his, in his coffee, I was like, yeah. hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what, what this movie does, uh, you know, it's a testament to how good this movie is because they're basically just doing the scene in Spider-Man 3 where he goes bad, uh, but for the entire <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> but it works so much better uh, than in Spider-Man 3 when uh, he's dancing around and all that. Hmm. Yes. I mean, not the comparison that I was expecting, but I can't say that you're, I can't say that you're wrong. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I guess we should explain kind of the science of it. So, he has developed a way to teleport Mather from one place to another. It's in the very yeah. early stages, and he can only uh, when Gina Davis first meets him, he he can only do it for uh, inanimate objects, organic. Uh, materials. Wow. Pathetic. Uh, t- Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely fucking useless, right? How, yeah, like, who could, pos- yeah. Yeah, who could possibly make what a nerd. of that? <laughs> um, but our organic material, um, ex- tends to explode, uh, when he, uh, and the poor baboon, um, oh. gets that turned into, uh, a Cronenberg. Um, I believe that is what it the gets kids Cronenberg, what the sadly. kids call it. Um, yeah, yeah, these days, yeah. he get the poor baboon gets Cronenberg until was he has sex with Gina Davis and he realizes he has to teach his computer um, right. like how to be horny <laughs> or something, <laughs> something along those lines. Basically, like he says, something is getting lost in the translation because it's the computer just understands ones and zeros and doesn't understand like that you have to put the whole thing together. It's not the same if the monkeys exploded or together. <laughs> right. And so he uh, does teach it. He, it does work. And um, because of the asshole boss, he uh, the asshole boss is harassing uh, Gina Davis and she goes over to see him and he gets kind of jealous. He gets in his feelings and decides <laughs> to teleport himself through it to kind of like prove his, you know, virility and masculinity. Um, but a flock. He's not going to be friend zone. Yeah. He has to fucking teleport himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, there's a fly in the machine and it all goes downhill from there. Basically. He becomes the Chad Brindle fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 there is that scene in the bar, right? There's, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this kind of amazing bit where he's getting increasingly more like kind of hyperactive spider-man 3-ish and uh, he starts off as this kind of like sweet uh goofy nerdy guy who can't really talk to girls and then like he's running through the streets like just with his like dead his his jacket on and he goes into some dive bar and challenges a guy to an arm wrestling match and then just straight up breaks the breaks the guy's arm and like leaves with like some girl at the bar that he's just picked up and it's like 
You see, maybe maybe being part human, part fly is not all terrible. Yeah, right. I mean, he can win the, the arm wrestling match. Yeah, but he has really bad skin at this point. <laughs> and yeah. he's growing, yeah. like, these uh, fly-like hairs uh, throughout his body. And he kind of he ignores it for a little bit until, you know... And at this point, like, he's uh, Gina's kind of get, you know, sick of his shit because he is acting like he's on coke constantly. Um, I'm trying and- to force her through the teleporter. It's terrible. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He tries to put her through. Even though, I have to say, it would have been safe as long as there was no fly. The fly was the problem. Not <laughs> the fly's the issue. Yeah, the, the fly was the literal bug. In the, in the, <laughs> the bug that needed to work out. A, a can of raid, and this whole thing would have been uh-huh. solved. I know. You know, she probably left the window open, I have to say. So maybe, she, maybe there is a oh, villain boy. in this movie, and it's her. Oh. Yeah, it's a typical woman. I think the villain is the fly itself. <laughs> <laughs> the dastardly fly. And so what we start seeing um, after he has, you know, this peak where he's super strong and super fast and can do anything, he, like, starts – his teeth start falling out and his nails start peeling off. And, like, this – that scene has just haunted me since I've – Awful. Like, since I've up. been, like, five when I saw this film. Like, it's just – Oh God, it's just so hard to watch. It still is even now. And I'm like, mm. and I guess that, and that is really a testament to like practical effects that like I watched that scene today and it doesn't look like corny or fake or anything. I'm like, that's the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Fingernails peeling off of it. Yeah. Oh, there's the, there's the, there's that horrible moment where, um, she comes around to see him after she's, you know, she's gotten sick of his shit. She's left. And then he calls and and says things have gotten worse and I need to see you. Uh, and like she comes around and the place is like full of rotten rotting food and he just yeah. picks up some food and just like vomits all yeah. over it because that's how that's how. F- and then he suddenly goes, "Oh yeah, wait, that's disgusting. You're not supposed to do that in front of people." <laughs> oh right, yeah. Which is also like part of what makes this so fun and charming is that it is still Jeff Goldblum yeah. turning into a fly and he's like <laughs> being kind of funny about it. Uh, that scene is very funny. The fingernail scene is not funny. Him vomiting on the donuts is is unexpected and funny. <laughs> her reaction yeah and so he starts you know hitting his low where he's along with their superman like he can barely walk and he's just for the rest of the film he's just covered in makeup just absolutely covered in yeah horrific looking um makeup that's and you just feel start feeling really really sorry for him and wonder what's happened next and then he gets worse he gets worse he turns into this kind of lumpy mass of like human slash insect flesh and gina can Mm -hmm. uh gina davis uh, character just can't uh deal with it anymore and around this time she realizes that she's actually um pregnant um with gobelin's child and she's and she has a nightmare which is also like a very good scene that uh she gives birth to a maggot um giant writhing maggot yeah, and she mm, Lord. and she's just like I'm getting an abortion. <laughs> um, but again, you know, Cronenberg very um, cognizant of fathers' rights. <laughs> As uh, Jeff Goldblum's like, no, no, uh, don't get an abortion, please. And it's actually not like his reason for it isn't like the most horrible. He's like. 
no, please don't. This is the last part of me that's human. I'm like going to be dead soon. So it's not him just being like an asshole about it. I mean, it's certainly a wrong thing to say, but it's like you can, you still feel sorry for him when he's like pleading with her, uh, to have the baby because he doesn't want, you know, to lose the last thing of him that's human. Yeah, at that point, he's still sympathetic. Yeah. Um, but right after, um, well, you know, maybe he's not, maybe he doesn't get so bad because the next thing that happens is, um, the Me Too guy comes with a <laughs> shotgun to his apartment. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, he assembles in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Seth, Seth Brundle, uh, starts, you know, melting his body parts away, uh, which is, you know, probably what he deserves on to be honest with you um he 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 deserved that for you know uh treating uh being another man who treats uh veronica uh gina davis's character like shit there's that great moment towards the end where he tells her that something like uh what is it that uh insects don't have a democracy you know they don't like he's changing into something that will actually become a threat to her Mm-hmm. Like he's he's becoming. There's a point at which you know you you're in that kind of liminal state state between being human and not. And he goes actually he kind of has this moment of recognition where he go, which I th- I actually think is kind of moving where he recognizes, yeah, you should probably leave because in like 20 minutes, uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you to leave. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to go for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very sad moment. Yeah, it is, you know, a really like strong, tragic, tragic what happens because he's still, you can tell he's still like, feel these are two people who love each other and then they've been destroyed by this, you mm-hmm. know, fucked up, <laughs> by just one little fucking fly mm-hmm. <laughs> ruined, uh, ruined both of their lives. Um, and so Brundle, you know, kind of goes, becomes the full movie monster and he decides that he wants to teleport. Um, with Gina Davis and the baby to merge them all into one fucked up Cronenberg uh, creature. And then he goes like full fly in this just, again, horrific and haunting scene uh, where he just bursts through his skin um, and everything starts falling away. And he's just this monster, just yeah. huge. <sighs> it's just so fucked up. Just a terrifying sequence, honestly. Just a fucked up sequence even to watch now again testament to practical effects Mm -hmm. yeah and the practical effects are incredible that like uh the difference i think uh between this and the brood is not is not massive because the effects hold up really well but the effects in this are just like you 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 see it now and you and you won't go uh practical effects kind of hokey you right like it'll it'll get you this 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 looks like real life it's like horrendous yeah they do a good job of like kind of keeping the reality consistent. Like I think when he does the arm wrestling, there's that white goo coming out of his hand from <laughs> yeah. the pressure. It's like that's weird. And then the later on, it's like, oh god, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, which I think is a really good de- details like that. And I also really mm. love the scene where he was crawling on the ceiling. Yeah, that like, scene Ugh. is great. It was very very effective. Yeah, this guy like all coked out climbing on the ceiling. <laughs> it's, it's having great. a normal one. <laughs> yeah, having just extremely normal. As just normal like a, as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> and just combine himself and his girlfriend and their yeah. unborn baby into one yeah. being uh, very uh, super normal. Just, yeah, you know, when you love someone, you want to be with them on the molecular <laughs> level. <so. laughs> 
and so at the end, finally, uh, Ronnie um, has to uh, kill uh, Seth, and he wants to die at that point because he's been partially merged uh, with the teleportation uh, machine, and he's just uh, a, even more of a mess, even more of a hot mess. And that's the end <laughs> of the film. Um, just a tragic uh, love story where no one really did anything wrong except the Me Too guy. Um, but he got punished <laughs> for it um, a little he, bit. Yeah, he had his hands melted off, so... Yeah. Yep. So good for him. Yeah. So the fly. <laughs> um, as I like, I've said this before, like, I think it's one of those, like, just perfect movies. There's nothing I would add to this or take away. Like, it's just a, uh, just a sad joy uh, to watch. You got two of the all time great movie stars actually falling in love on screen <laughs> in real life. In real life. <laughs> and then you have some of the best practical effects. Um, ever yeah. uh, throughout the horror movie. The only thing, uh, Shannon is right that maybe Ronnie does need like one scene with her Just friends. friends. <laughs> yeah. Where she'd be nice if this thing could pass the Bechdel test, is all. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, I think it's pretty much a perfect movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to agree. I mean, this is a, this is like, I, 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 I like maybe as good as genre filmmaking gets you know what i mean it's like a big budget movie that doesn't take itself like more seriously than it is that has like bigger themes and ideas and also like just absolutely incredible visuals like uh this is what you want out of movie making pretty much <laughs> no i totally agree and you know i know when it came out lots of people um read it as a um as an as an AIDS metaphor, which ah. is is really interesting and understandable. And Cronenberg himself said, "You know, totally fine. I I completely understand why people would do that." But um, I really like his his kind of answer to that, which is to see it as a film about uh, aging and about change. And hmm. I don't. I, I've always found it like a. I've always found it a really emotional experience watching it. And it, like it's scary and it's funny and it's gross, but it's also this really, uh, to me, really beautiful kind of meditation on the fact that bodies are fallible and that we are all we're all slowly kind of collapsing through time and then, and then in your most crazed state you're like let's have a kid that's the way i can like keep my shit going having a kid yeah. that'll be what it is yeah that'll, that'll be the thing that'll... <laughs> but yeah i mean just so good um this is my first time seeing it all the way. Like, again, I had seen uh, clips of the end of it uh, and had that image in mind as I watched the whole rest of the movie. Um, I think that the plot is less weird than a lot of other Cronenberg films. And I think mm -hmm. I like his kind of weird dream nonsense plots more just in a subjective way. But as yeah. far as like a higher budget, you know, big actor film, it's very uncompromising. Like, she yeah. just blows his head off, and then the movie ends, and then we're all like, well, "What about the main? Okay, cool. We don't find out. I like that. Yeah. That it's just like it's just over. It's just he yep. wants to die. He's still in there. It's like you know that he's still in there, uh, and yeah. he just craves death. And yeah, then no the movie ends. No, and I was like, yeah. no sentiment. No sentimentality. No, no, no catharsis. No, like, no. and then she he has wanted the baby to die, and, and then he died. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, um, so, uh, there was a sequel to this that follows, like, the baby, uh, wow. that they have. Ugh. Uh, Gina Davis didn't come back. Uh, the Me Too guy came back, but no, nobody okay. else. Uh, Cronenberg wasn't involved. He's the, uh, <laughs> 
He's the Eugene Levy of the straight to DVD, <laughs> the fly. <Yes. laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they, uh, they did, uh, uh, Cronenberg said he did write a kind of side sequel to it, but, um, he, and he was talking about it with Fox about getting it made, but now that will, of course, never happen, uh, cause we will have to be talking to Disney about making a sequel to the fly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe they could start the Fly Cinematic Universe. They could have like a whole six flies leading up to the return of the fly himself. And uh, we'll get one scene with Jeff Goldblum uh, in one room in a gray shirt. <laughs> fly world. <laughs> fly world, yeah. Crisis on infinite telepods. Yeah. So good. <laughs> All right. All right, folks. That is struggle session for now. But However... <gasps> Tune to Horror Vanguard for part two of our Cronenberg discussion, where we will be handling scanners and video drone. See you then. Peace. See you then. Bye. Bye. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.